0: I've kind of, I've, I had like four or five titles for this. We'll call it Grace and Truth since that's the, the main theme of what we're going to talk about. Um, how many of you guys have, have wanted to meet someone or if it was someone famous or someone you had never met and you, and you wanted to meet them and then you finally got to meet them in person? Anybody ever done that? We met, we met a few people, went to New York and we ran into some people. We saw uh, Green Day, the whole band walked through uh, on the red carpet and then we ran into Guy Fiery, Fiery, the spiky-headed guy, Fiery, however you remember his name, Fiery, Fiery, Fiery? Brett Farfra. Anyway, whatever his name is. We met him one time, and um, <clears throat> and one of the most memorable of mine is he's not really that famous. Some of you may not, probably don't even know who he is, but Olin Rogers. Anybody know who Olin Rogers is? Okay, a few of us you know who Olin Rogers is. He made a bunch of YouTube videos, um, and I've watched him kind of, I feel like I know him. Like, I've watched him since he started, and he kind of got YouTube famous, I guess you could say, but he's not super famous. But I always wanted, I thought it would be cool to meet him or whatever. Well, I had to travel with work, and I went up to... Uh, Tennessee, somewhere in Tennessee um, and, and he has a, he just opened up a soda parlor there. I thought, oh, that's cool, I'll stop in the soda parlor, and he was known to stop by there sometimes. I thought that'd be cool if I ran into him. Well, sure enough, I stopped by the soda parlor and checking out some t-shirts looking at some stuff, and here comes Olin Rogers strolling in, and uh, I was like, ah. Oh you're Olin Rogers, and I said that to him, and he was like, yep, (laughs) and I'm not like, and this has not been that long ago, I'm like a grown man, like, I don't want to be starstruck, and I'm not really starstruck by anybody, but it caught me off guard, I really didn't expect him to walk in, and he did, and he was much taller than I expected, um, which is usually the opposite, Um, but he was much taller than I expected, and I said that, I was like, hey, you're Olin Rogers, he was like, yep, and uh, I told him, I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm a big fan. I said, I've, I've watched your videos from balloon shop days all the way up until all the things that you've made recently. He's like, oh, that's cool. And we, we got to talk and actually kind of hang out a little bit. And I'm like, this is really cool. Um, and I asked him, since it's a soda parlor, I was like, what does Olin Rogers drink? You know, what, what, kind of, what kind of soda should I get? And he was like, let me, and I told him I drove all the way from Mobile. And he was like, let me hook you up. And so he got this little cardboard thing and put four glass bottles of his favorite sodas in there. And he's like, on the house. And I was like, this is the greatest day in the world. Olin Rogers gave me free sodas And uh, it was like cream soda and like orange cream soda and like creamy cream, some other kind of sodas, like some really good sodas. So I got there to hang, I I got to hang out and get to know Olin Rogers there for a few minutes. It was really cool. Um, But he was a little, he was pretty much just like the videos, but he was a little different just talking, you know, one-on-one. It was just a little bit different. In the same way, I used to do customer service from inside sales, and I would talk to people for years and work through different problems they would have with equipment. And then I went to outside sales, and I would meet these people, and they looked nothing like I imagined, like have you ever done that? Talk to people on the phone. I've talked to him for literally like four or five years, and I'd go meet him, and I was like, "You are bald and skinny, and <laughs> that's not who you are," because I've talked to you for three years, <laughs> and no, no. <laughs> and then I got punched in the throat. No, I did not say that out loud. That's what I was saying in my brain, in my in my mind. But I, but. We have these sometimes unrealistic expectations. I won't go into relationships, but we have some unrealistic (laughs) expectations in general with people that we meet, right? I mean, we do. And so, and I know you guys have heard me preach from this specific story probably 20 times, and there's just so much there, I'm going to preach on it again. But this is a different, it's a little bit different angle. Um, But it's the woman at the well, the Samaritan at the well. Um, You guys know from what we've been talking about as far as Samaritans go, the Jews were basically racist towards the Samaritans, and they were the same way towards them. They, uh... They were brought up in a culture that they were taught to hate each other. They didn't like each other. They would go around the whole community um, so that they wouldn't have to interact with them. They wouldn't do business. Um, They wouldn't have anything to do with them. But Jesus, what he always does, and it's so awesome, is he messes with people, and he messes with people right where they have issues. And so he's got these young Jewish boys with him that have grown up in a culture that has has been taught to hate another, uh, another group of people. They were basically... Pretty much racist, if we would call it by our terms today. Um, and so what happens is, instead of going the traditional Jewish route all the way around this community, Jesus goes straight through the middle of it. And then in the midst of that, he sends these uh, <laughs> these guys, his disciples, right into the Samaritan to go get him some food, even though he's not hungry, he says later on. He's like, i got food you don't even know about. But the reason he sends them in there is to teach them something about themselves, because they didn't want to go in that community, because they, they did have that in their hearts. And so they, they went into that community, and he sent them in there to teach them something about themselves. Completely different. Sermon, sorry, I got off the topic. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. So John, so John 4, let's see. We'll start in John 4, 1, and this is the woman at the well. Um, and I'm going to go through it quick because most of you have heard it, and I want to get to the point where I'm, where I'm kind of going, so I'll paraphrase some. Um, but hopefully you guys trust me. Y'all know the story. So. Um, so let's see. They've gone through Samaria. verse 4. So he came to a town of Samaria. Um, Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. There's a lot of history behind the well. We're not going to get into that. Uh, And Jesus, tired. Now, it says he was tired. He wasn't really hungry. He was tired from the journey. He sat down by the well. Now, it says in one of the other versions, he sent the disciples on to to get some food to basically teach them a little bit about themselves. Um, It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Um, The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that you ask for a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you water that, he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Da 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 da, flocks and herds. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water I give him, will never thirst. Now, we're going to stop there for a second. We've been talking about the difference in um, the natural and the spirit and how Jesus continually tries to show people things that are happening eternally. Now, when I say eternally, we know from what we've been talking about that's not when you di- just when you die and go on into eternity. Eternity starts the moment you're born again. Eternity is the reality of the kingdom right now. When Jesus said it's at hand, hold out your hand. That's where it is. It's right here. It's not after you die. People in heaven don't need you now as eternity starts now so he says everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks the water i give him will never thirst he's talking about spiritual things indeed the water i will give will become in him a spring of of water welling up to eternal life and he obviously hints there the woman said to him sir give me this water said i won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to draw water he told her go call your husband and come back now big shift in conversation there right the last time I taught this, I talked about the thirsty, the thirsty woman, and some of you hadn't heard that term, and I don't know if the kids even call ladies, oh, that girl's so thirsty, but no. <laughs> but this was the, we don't say that anymore, anyway, the last time I taught this, y'all did, maybe, anyway, but what's interesting is that term could have gone all the way back to this 2,000 years ago, it was legitimate here, because she had the same desperation for men, and so what, what he says here, go call your husband and come back, she says, I have no husband, Jesus said, you're right? <laughs> you have no husband the fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband and she says are you some kind of prophet how do you you must be a prophet and he says yeah and then she immediately changes subject let's talk about worship I don't want to talk about my issues let's talk about worship she jumps ship and she diverts our father's worship on this mountain she goes into this whole discussion and Jesus meets her right where she is and she's He's like, okay, yeah, let's talk about worship. I'll tell you about worship. And he explains everything to her. And I'm not going into this because we've taught it before. I don't want to go over what we've already taught, so I'm trying to get to a place. So they talk about worship for a while. Um, let's see. And then she gets in, verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming because he tells her that. And then she says, I know he's coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, ta-da. <laughs> Guess what? You've been talking to him the whole time. She was, he was right in front of her. But how many times we do that the same way we have these unrealistic expectations of what people look like and the way that they're going to talk and the way they're going to address us um, she probably had no idea that he was going to meet her at, at the well and see she's imagining everything she's heard about from the distant Jews about this Messiah that's going to come and she has these preconceptions and misconceptions but he says look he who is talking to you that's who, that's who I am this Messiah you're talking about that's me now this is really cool here so the disciples come back and uh, no one asks who you are or why were you talking to her because they were all scaredy cats, then uh, and I can imagine, think about this, put yourself in this position. Like we, we read these scriptures sometimes. We go, okay, yeah, yeah, that's great, that's great. But think about, he sent them into an area that they, uh, uh, from, a, from a culture of people that they hated, and those people hated him, and he said, hey, go find me some food. Imagine them going around in a little huddle <laughs> to a bunch of people that, that there was a lot of tension there. Now, they're coming back from that with food that they finally found somewhere if someone would serve them because there was a mutual hate there. Um, so they come back, and they're scared, and they don't know what's going on. Here's Jesus talking to a Samaritan, um, not just a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman. And so just then as the disciples returned. They didn't say anything. Verse 28, then, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, I've read over this several times, and I just rejoice. That's awesome. That's awesome. But why would she say that? Why is that good news? Come come see a man who told me everything I ever did. That sounds terrible. (laughs) I mean, if you've got a good life, let's say Jesus comes and talks to you and says, okay, well, uh, I'm going to tell you all that you've been married to one woman and you've had a great life and you've been going to church and all those things, and you could be, okay, yeah, tell them all what I've done. Let's say Jesus comes to you and starts airing your dirty laundry, basically, and and telling you exactly some of the issues that you have and hitting you right where your lack is, um, even presenting the fullness to you right in your face but at the same time presenting to you where your lack is, I don't know if I'd want to go tell everyone, hey, (laughs) come talk to this guy that's going to tell you everything you ever did. That seems a little odd, doesn't it? Don't we just kind of read across that and go, oh, yay. No, (laughs) that sounds kind of sketchy. Why would you do that? But she doesn't. She's excited about it. Now, this evidence, if you go all the way down to to 39, she repeats that again. Um, She says, uh, or no, it's 428. I'm sorry. Uh, and verse 28 says come see a man who told me everything I ever did so she's very excited about this which seems kind of odd but she's very excited about this um, now what's interesting is uh, John writes from a very relational perspective if you've ever read through John he, he talks about himself in third person of, and calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved and he wrote the book <laughs> so he's very fond that Je- he knows that Jesus loves him but all the way through the book of John it's like the love book right he's very mushy But he writes from a very relational point of view, which is really good because that's what Jesus is is doing here. And so he's he's building a relationship with this woman, and that's what he's showing her. So God meets this woman at the well and interrupts her uh, relational inadequacies with his relational fullness. So what's happening is she has been with five different... She's had five different husbands. She obviously is not satisfied anywhere, and she's trying to find... She is legitimately thirsty. (laughs) She's trying to find some fulfillment... Um, in her life, in people, in men. And Jesus shows up and meets her right where she is and he calls out what's going on. Now why would he expose her? Doesn't that seem mean? Doesn't that seem shameful? It seems like on the surface it would be. But we're going to get to that in just a minute. But she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now we're going to jump to um, John one fourteen. Now there's a couple different versions here and I'm going to Let's see. I'm going to read out of the NIV, or Holman, I'm sorry. Verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and took up residence among us. The Eugene Peterson, the Message Bible, says he moved into our neighborhood. I love that version. We observed his glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, anytime I, I not any time, but a lot of times when I mention grace, we begin to talk about grace. A lot of times people will try to defend the law by saying, Oh, yeah, what about truth? Yeah, grace is good, but what about truth? Now, what's interesting here is Jesus came, and he was full of both grace and truth. Now, he wasn't 50-50, 50 50 grace, 50 truth. He didn't try to balance these things. He was full of grace and full of truth. These two things are distinctive, but they're inseparable. They're found in Jesus. They're not ideas. We've talked about this. Jesus wasn't idealist. He was a realist. This was reality to them. This is real. He was full of grace and truth. So verse 17 says, Indeed, we have received grace after grace. If you go all the way back to Greek, it's like grace times infinity. Grace after grace after grace after grace. From his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the law was given through Moses, but Jesus came down and took up residence with us so that he could give us grace. He came and moved into our neighborhoods. He came into the places where we didn't think he should come. He came into the bad neighborhoods. He came into the areas that we didn't think he should even come. But that's what he did. So why is she excited about Jesus telling her all that she ever did? Because she did not experience truth, but she experienced the fullness of Jesus, which is what? Grace and truth. Now, what good is grace without truth? Think about that for a minute. If grace has no truth, then we can just write it off as, oh, I didn't see that. Let's let's push that to the side. No, grace covers something. It covers the truth about us. And what we're all lacking, right? We've all fallen short. So grace is there for a purpose, but it's in him, and it comes as truth. And so he calls her out on the things that she struggles with. Right where she is, he calls her out and says, Okay, I know what your, what your biggest issue is. You've got lack here. You've been searching for a man to fulfill everything that you need, and you've been searching for it in human form, but I'm here to tell you that I'm the only one that can do that. And it's not by what you can do, but it's because I've come to meet you right where you are, in the middle of a place where you didn't think I could even come. So grace and truth are distinct, but inseparable. Can we separate Jesus? Can we split him in half and say, okay, you're either truth or you're grace? No, he's both. So we're going to go to one more story um, about another woman who is lacking. It's in John 8-2. Now what's interesting is, um, I know we've got some medical people in here and some in, in splash zone but there was a time and my mom's here she'll remember this time uh, I was playing dirt war and we had these discs of clay that were basically like little rocks we were flinging them at each other because that was fun for some reason it was like battle so we are slinging these, these basically discs that were like stone at each other and one of them hit me on the back of the head really hard, almost knocked me out like I was like stunned, like when you can like smell blood I was like, Ugh. so I was stunned and I kept, but I got up and I kept playing. We were going to try to win. And, uh, but my friend wasn't behind me, wasn't throwing anymore. And I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he had this blank look on his face. And I said, what's wrong? And he said, there's blood gushing out of the back of your head. <laughs> and I was like, what? And it was soaking wet. And I was like, huh. Oh. And I ran home. We lived in some apartments in Westlake. And I ran home and told my mom. And she jumped in the car and we had this old station wagon thing. And, we're going up the I-10 bridge in Lake Charles. Have you ever been there? It's like this real tall, steep bridge. Um, and we're at the top of it. And, uh, I said, is, is it okay? And she said, let me look at it. And I leaned over and she said, yeah, it's fine. And then she turned on the flashers and literally like floored it. <laughs> that little four cylinder. <laughs> and I, and my, my heart started beating. I was like, oh, I'm not going to make it. And so we get to the hospital and, uh, And all I can relate this to, the doctors came in and they they like shaved around it, which was extremely uncomfortable. But they had to put stitches in it, but they had to clean it. And when they were cleaning it, I was like, ah! Stop whatever you're doing. And all I could think of was, I had bicycles back then and I would, if you ever had a bicycle patch and you had this little cheese grater thing that came with it that you would scuff it up with, I was like, they're using that on my head. Are you going to put a patch up there? Why are you scraping on my skull like this? It really hurts. Like, I could feel this. Can you numb it or something? But they didn't care. But I imagine that they were scraping it, but they were cleaning it really well because they couldn't sew it up with all the dirt in it. Um, And so they cleaned it really well, shaved it, and they put several stitches in my head. And I've still got a cowlick right there from where they had to stitch it all back together. What happened was it was a little uncomfortable for them to clean it, but it was necessary for the wound to heal, right? And so I was a little exposed. There was really not much I could do, but it was for my benefit. At the same time, we're going to get into the story, and sometimes Jesus will expose some of our hurts, And it's not to shame us, and it's not the intention to hurt us, but sometimes it's necessary for us to to realize that we need him. And so what he does here is he he does this with this woman in in, uh, John 8, 2. Uh, Let's see. It says, uh, He appeared appeared again at the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Uh, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. Now, it says she was literally caught in the middle of it. She's in the streets like with a sheet on, which is super sketchy. How would they catch her in the middle of it? I don't know. But anyway, so they bring her out in the middle. um, And uh, they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question in a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, there's a lot of speculation on what he wrote. Some people said they were writing he was writing their names because of what they did or some of the sins they did. I don't know what he wrote, and I think it's good that it's vague because we can, we can, we can take ownership of it, and he could be writing whatever he wanted. Um, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger, and I heard, that, uh, heard uh, I can't remember who it was, but he was preaching the sermon. I'll never forget this, and I love his version. is He was down there, and you can imagine, if you imagine where this woman's face would have been, if she was shamed, her face would have been looking down, right? So I can imagine him down there trying to capture her gaze. This is a relational God. This is God with skin on. And he's down there writing. And he's, he's, he's not worried about them. But he's looking at her. So he bent down and started right on the ground. When, when they kept questioning, they're, they're still running their mouths. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and started right on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. Now, here's, a, here's a, an interesting fact that they throw in here. The older ones first until uh, Jesus was left. So it's from the oldest to the youngest. They're throwing their stones down. And this is what, this is what grace does. He takes care of your, your oldest sin all the way up to the most current one. And he's dropping those stones, every single one of them. The older ones first down to the youngest until Jesus, only Jesus was left. Think about that, that imagery. Only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. She said, Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Now go and leave your life of sin. Now a lot of people think that he says go and like sin no more. is One of the, one of the versions says sin no more. Like don't, don't do it anymore. But I like this version because she he says leave your life of sin. Where did she leave it? She left it with Jesus. She didn't have to leave and go, okay, I'm going to try real hard not to sin anymore. Everything that she was going through was exposed in front of everyone, and Jesus included. And it was probably painful for her, but his concern was her, not their accusations. And he met her right where she was, and he said, "Is is there no one else here left to condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. Leave your sin with me and go, and you don't have to sin anymore. This is the reality of the Christ that came and put skin on. This is God, the one that breathed the stars and created the universe, came down to build a house in our neighborhood (laughs) to live with us. This is the reality of the God, the spirit that's with us. Now, here's what's interesting. Right after that, uh, he he, he turns to his disciples and he begins to tell them about light. Or maybe I've skipped ahead. I don't know. I got off. I got off topic. No, this is it. Then Jesus transitions. He goes. He goes from the woman's disciples and he starts telling them about light. In the next scriptures, we're not going to go through everything. He starts telling them this is how this is how my light works. This is how I expose things. He exposes sin so that people can be free, not so he can shame them, not so he can hurt them. When he exposes the darkness, he's exposing the enemy's lies. Because as you guys know, and we've talked about in here, our our existence from the DNA from when we were created is to be with God. And so that reconciliation is what we're drawn to. And so when he exposes sin, he's exposing the enemy's lies, and he's bringing you into your right standing with him, and that's, where, that's who you are. So your righteousness is in him, and that's who you are, not what you do, but who you are. And so he says, look, and he's telling his disciples, that's how my light works. I don't shine my light to expose people to hurt them. I shine my light so that they can be healed and so that they don't have to live in sin because I'm going to take it on for them. This is how my light works, guys. Because they always came to him with law. Well, the law says stone. The law says this. But I came to fulfill the law. Fullness is what he brought. He didn't just bring right and wrong. He brought all the best for us. This is what's cool about Jesus. Now, we won't ever see, until we get to heaven, we won't see a physical manifestation of Jesus. We won't come down and sit with us. He won't come meet us physically, but he did something better. Now, this is for the believer. If you guys are believers, this is a scripture specifically for you. This is uh, John 16, 7. It says, Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. Listen to this. This is the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor or helper will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict. Now listen to this. This is really important. He will convict the world about sin. Singular. He's talking about sin as a whole. Righteousness and judgment. Verse 9. About sin because they, listen to the wording here, because they do not believe in me. So that's separating. We're going to talk about sin to the people that don't believe. Verse 10. About righteousness because I am going to the Father and who? You. You will no longer see me. See, he's shifted there. In verse 11, and about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. That's past tense. He's talking about himself. The judgment was poured out on Christ on our behalf. So you see where he puts us. He puts us right behind the righteousness because we're made righteous in him. So he sends his Holy Spirit to us, then we're made righteous. I love Second Corinthians 5.21. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might try to be no. We might become the righteousness of God in Him. Not learn about, not try hard to be. We will become righteous. We are, we've been talking about, we will be new creations. We are born again. We're, we're not waiting for something else to happen. Jesus' second coming won't eclipse his first. The, the greatest thing to happen in the history has happened already. I'm not saying He's not coming back. He's coming back, but it's not His second coming's not going to eclipse his first one. He's done the greatest thing He could ever do. And your worth is, is, is what he paid for you, and that was his son. So he tells us the truth, he tells us the grace and truth. So you've become, you have become the righteousness of God through Jesus. So as we find this process, we're becoming day by day by day, grace by grace by grace by grace, we're becoming more and more righteous, learning who we are in Him. So the truth about us is what God says about us, right? So when that light shines, he's not shining it to shame us. He's saying, that's not who you are, because that's not what I created you. I created you for more than that. Leave your sin with me. Don't try not to sin. He's talking singular. Leave it all with me. I'll take it all. But what about the, I'll take that too. All of it. So here's, here's the crux of it all. Do you want to know about him, or do you want to know him? This is what Jesus came to earth for. This is what Jesus sent his Holy Spirit for. It's not so that we can know more about him, but so that he could have an intimate relationship with us. Now, this is best, best described by my most recent um, anxiety breakdown. <laughs> I consider myself not to be a real anxious person, but I'm ignorant because I guess I am. Um, but as most of you know, Tracy... And Trinity went to Oklahoma. Her father passed, or her grandfather, not her father. Her grandfather passed away, so she went up there and she's been up there all week. Um, and she went with her sister. And I was already stressed out because I wasn't going with her. She went with her sister and Trinity, my oldest daughter. And uh, she got up there. Well, her sister for some reason decided to stay, and so Tracy and Trinity drove back yesterday from Oklahoma like a champ. Good job. Wow. All the way from yeah, Shawnee, Oklahoma, um, drove all the way back. She got in late last night. Huh. She didn't get lost. No, nope. she had Trinity as her her uh, GPS, GPS navigator. Trinity was asleep the whole time. Okay. All, all prop, all the mad props go to Tracy, all of them. So uh, good job, Tracy. But I am super proud of her um, because that's a long haul to drive by yourself. Um, but at the same time, there was a moment, I guess around 11 or 12, uh, when I hadn't heard from him in a while, and I was like, well, I'll check in on him. I was trying to pretend like we had kept the house clean, and so I was cleaning everything up really as much as I could and throwing some stuff away and shoving some stuff in the corner. You go, and, uh, and the kids had gone next door to play at a birthday party they had next door, and so I had a break and I was like, oh, I'm going to call and check on them, so I called and she didn't answer and I was like, well, that's weird, so I waited a few minutes. Okay, I didn't wait very long. I called Trinity, <laughs> and then I called Tracy, and I called Tracy, and I called Tracy, and I called Trinity, and I called Trinity, and I called Tracy. I don't know how many, I could look at my phone, it was probably 20 times. And I I started freaking out. My wife and my oldest daughter are on the road by themselves, and I don't know where they are. And so I tried to remember her password to find my iPhone. And I found it, and I I tracked her, and it's just tracking, 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 offline, offline. (laughs) Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And so I was like, okay, okay, I don't need to panic, don't panic. So I call them about 12 more times. And then I send the, you know, you can send the alert. Once it's found, I did both of them. Boom, boom, alert. They're going to hear something. Um, Alert, alert. Uh, As soon as it's found, find my iPhone, we'll do this loud siren thing. So I sent both of those. Still nothing, still nothing. And I'm seriously about to Google. The last known location was like North Mississippi. And I was about to Google uh, Mississippi State Troopers. I'm not skipping 911 altogether. You guys need to send the Helicopters. And, and I know helicopters have landed in my backyard from, from, uh, from the ambulance and stuff, so you guys need to bring me a helicopter, and <laughs> we got to find her, right? Like, I'm freaking out. And then the phone rings. It's Trinity. And uh, I take that back. Before before Trinity, before Trinity called, I sat down, and I, I started praying. I was like, okay, I need to pray. So I sat down and started praying. I was like, Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm really freaking out right now. I don't know where they are. It's probably only been like five minutes. <laughs> but for me, it was like an eternity. And, uh, and I immediately started second-guessing myself. I should have went with them. I should have taken off work. I'm a bad father. I'm a bad husband. <laughs> you know? I'm going through all these things. Why did I let them do this on their own? This was really stupid of me. And, and, and the Lord just spoke to me, and he was like, "Whoa, I'm right here. I'm right here. And I'd been preparing for this message, and one of the things I was talking about was the kingdom of God is at hand. And I held my hand out, and he was like, I'm right here. I'm not far away. I'm right with them. It's okay. And I settled down, and then Trinity called me and said I scared the mess out of them because the alarms went off and Tracy thought the car was going to blow up. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't recognize that sound. And she said, I thought it was the car. I thought I ran out of oil or something. Oh, But it was just a reminder of how quickly your pastor can forget <laughs> um, how really little control we have and how much we really trust and depend on him. Um, but we really do. We, we Just like we talked about the disciples hiding in a room and then Jesus walks through the walls, how quickly we forget of all the miracles he's done and all the things that he's done and how good he is, really, really good he is. Uh, you know it was eight days later the disciples are scared and locking themselves and he's like why are you locking yourself in the room like, I can go through walls and you need to come back out through these walls um, but how quickly we forget we can see you know Delia Knox get up and then we go to work and we're offended by somebody or somebody says something and we think it's the end of the world how quickly we forget how good God is and how his kingdom is right here and it's right at hand he seeks us I wasn't looking for God when he found me. (laughs) My mom, you can ask her. She knows. I was not. I was at a party where I shouldn't have been doing things I shouldn't have been doing. And I woke up in the middle of the night and he spoke to me and he said, there is more to life than this. I was at a place where I thought I I wanted to be. I wanted to be popular and hang around the cool people and go to the cool parties. And I was there and I was absolutely probably the most miserable I could ever be in my life. And he spoke to me and he said, yeah, I've got better things for you. I'm better than these things. So I want to tell you, for the believer, we have this God in us, with us, right here with us. He came down to meet us right where we are. He didn't just put a bunch of rules on the wall and say, take care of these. He said, I'll take care of these. I just want you to know me and I want to know you. For the non believer, he wants to know you. He wants to know you. And he's better than you think he is. He's not going to expose you and shame you. He's going to expose the lies the enemy is saying about you. And he's going to tell you the truth about you. And guess what comes with truth? Grace. Upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace on grace. There's no cheap grace. There's no greasy grace. Grace is Jesus. And grace comes with truth. And the truth about you is what he says about you. And you were worth dying for. So guys, stand up with me. Uh, Melissa, if you don't mind, come up and play a little bit. I just uh, I want to pray for you guys. I want to give, uh, give you an opportunity. Listen, if you if you've never experienced that kind of love, listen, I know Conditional love—I understand how it works—and a lot of times we get caught up in this conditional love. I do for you, you do for me. It's kind of the uh, the natural kind of American way. I call it kind of a hustle. We we treat relationships like this sometimes. I'm going to be nice to you, but I expect you to be nice to me. I'm going to love you, but you better love me at the same level. We have great expectations here. But the cool thing about God is, He doesn't require anything from you. All He asks is that you receive it because He says it's a gift. He says, "Just receive the gift that I have for you, and all you can do is say thank you, and you receive it." And he tells you the truth about you. Now, sometimes it does sting a little bit, just like when he, when they were cleaning my skull with that tire <laughs> tire patch cleaner. Uh, sometimes it stings a little bit, but it was hindsight. It, it was beneficial. <laughs> So just know that God doesn't seek to expose anything that you've gone through to hurt you, but he exposes it so that he can take those lies from you and he puts them on himself. And he meets us right where we are. And he says, I'm not just going to tell you the way to live. I'm going to show you how to do it because I'm going to walk with you. He's like right here with my arm around you. We've talked about walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. He walks with us and he dances. I'm going to show you, look, I'm right here with you. And we fall and we fail. Listen, your pastor messes up. You guys know me and you guys know each other. But we're here to pick each other up and build each other up. And that's what we're here for. I'll keep telling you, people in heaven don't need you. <laughs> They're doing good. But your eternity started the moment you were born again. And you have something worth sharing. So if you are a believer, I just, I just pray that you will just be reminded of that every day every day grace upon grace upon grace father meet us right where we are father open our eyes to reveal more of who you are in us so that we can share that with other people and father in this place right now for the non-believer that's not sure about where they are and they've never experienced that love father meet them right where they are father come into their hearts father and i just pray that they would just receive you and all of your goodness and all of your joy Father, all the guilt and shame is washed away. You say, just as you told that woman, leave your sin with me. I'll take care of it. Just leave it here. And go and live the life that I've died for you to live. Live the life that I tell you you should live. And that life is good. And it's full of joy. Because I made you and I know what makes you happy. And I know what brings you real joy. Father, manifest your life in us. Grow your life in us every day. Open our eyes to the realization of who you are in us and through us to everyone around us. Take our eyes off of ourselves that we're constantly trying to evaluate and reevaluate something that you've already taken care of. And open our eyes to those around us so that we can share this great love with others. We are clay jars, we are Dixie cups full of your glory, Father. Let us spill over to everyone that we come in contact with this week. Thank you, Father, for your grace, for your love, for your joy. You are better than we thought. In Jesus' holy name, amen, amen, amen. amen. Love you guys.